I promised a mom yesterday who emailed that we would get to this right at the top of the show. She wrote in and said, my son is emotionally traumatized and entering Easter excuse me, Easter seals. And some of the boys are huge. I was even intimidated by their size. Because he is nonverbal, I could not find out what happened to him, but he would not go back to his old school. And it was a swim day. He was upset about it and would not go to the pool at the water park we visited. My question is how do I get him back on the bus to his new school with the least resistance? Mm. That's a little scary. That kind of stuff always really bothers me because yeah. it's so important to know what's going on with our kids during the day. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, so let's not look back and in terms of going forward this is a very basic shaping process okay. and I think we can pretty much uh, get our children to do anything we want them to do as long as we do it in a gradual format and reinforce every step of the mm -hmm. way. So uh, in this case I, w I don't know uh, when he starts resisting so perhaps he will be resisting even in the morning when he's getting ready. I'm not sure how, or how you know, how far back the resistance starts. Maybe it's um, getting on the bus. Yeah. So, you know, wherever that is, you basically write out the steps from the point uh, where he starts to have some sort of, uh, let's say, anxiety about it mm -hmm. to the actual thing that you want him to accomplish, the whole thing. So, like, going to school and being happy. And you write out the, the ver you break it into steps. And then you can do it either way. You essentially can, for instance, accompany him the whole way until the very last step at which point he's on his own and he's reinforced and then you gradually uh, kind of fade yourself out or an aide or someone who's with him this is called backwards shaping so you do the whole process until the very end and you reward that so he feels pretty safe about it then you do the whole thing but the last step which might be I don't know the last hour in school right. you fade away and then he's alone and doing fine right. um, and then you'll make it two hours and three hours and then you will gradually fade off so that you take him to the bus but you're not really on the bus that sort of thing that's one way to do it another way to do it is just regular shaping which means that you will make the requirements pretty minimal to begin with for him so um, <clears throat> you could for instance acclimate him to uh, the whole thing through a video like you could take a video of getting on the bus and going to school or you could uh, just show pictures of you know the bus and so on it sounds like he's developed a fear yeah. and phobias in general or fears that generalize are best treated through this process called systematic desensitization and systematic desensitization is essentially you list um, all the things that are fearful so uh, so for instance uh, getting on the bus and, and actually spending a whole day by myself at school that would be like the ultimate fearful event and then a hierarchy of things that resemble that but are less fear evoking so you know the first thing might be a picture of a bus right. um, if that already starts to bother him or maybe not really then could be um, I don't know the sound of the kids or the water uh, in, a, in the pool somewhere right. so you really because we don't have a lot of information 
information here, but you have to itemize the items in terms of the last one, which is the most fear-evoking, would be an actual in vivo live experience of the thing that he's fearing. Mm -hmm. And the least one, so the one that's the very beginning of the hierarchy, would be something like a picture of right. the event, something very... And what you do is you present each of those, starting from the lowest fear-evoking, and then you, uh, you know, watch for his reactions. And the moment that he starts to have any kind of fear or anxiety around it, you have, you need to have taught him some way of calming himself. Like what we often do with our kids is breathing and counting. Yeah. So we'll teach our kids just to like when, as soon as they identify that um, they're becoming, they're getting worked mm -hmm. out, worked up about something, we'll just have them start going. Whoa. To and deep yes. breaths, and the, this really helps with our yeah. kids. It becomes a really good technique for them. And if you do that, and you present the item or picture or whatever it is, and then you prompt the child to actually breathe along with it and calm down, then you gradually go up the hierarchy right. so that exposure to this fearful thing uh, become is paired with some relaxation. Right. Then uh, it becomes something that. They, the child can handle. Yeah. So, and it might be other things for him, like breathing might not be the thing. Maybe right. there's an object that gives him a sense of security. Yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe he, I don't know his functioning level or his age, but maybe he can write something and that will help him calm mm -hmm. down. Um, there are pressure just, points sometimes that they tell our kids to do. There are pressure points, some, absolutely. Yeah. Usually though, if it's a young child, usually they feel very secure just if they have a certain object with yeah. them. Yeah. Um, or maybe a note from you or something yeah. that gives them a sense of security, but I don't know the functioning level of this child, right. nor do I know the age. Yeah. So that's kind of how you deal with it. And part of the reason to go back and try to find out what exactly happened is because that will give you some really important information about the exact stimulus that he's fearful yeah. and avoidant of. Right. Because it might not really have anything to do with the school setting or the bus. Right. It might have to do with, let's say, some area in the school or just swimming or I don't right. know, you know, some specific thing. And if you then eliminate that particular phobia, then all this other stuff will generally go away. Yeah. So it's hard to deal with it without knowing what happened, but you yeah. can absolutely, I mean, the short answer, I guess, is um, gradually expose him to it yeah. and reward a lot. And okay. try to reward also with things that are uh, give him a sense of safety or security. This is anxiety. Yeah. Fear is anxiety. And so this is, uh, you know, you're dealing with anxiety. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I had an epiphany on Monday on the drive-in. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys talk about doing things gradually all the time. Right, right. And it's not necessarily my strong suit, doing things gradually. <laughs> you know, I'm an impatient person. And I was listening to NPR on the drive-in, and they were talking about the time change. And they mm -hmm. were quoting somebody saying that the Monday after the time change is the worst day in humanity. Right. And how everybody gets thrown off for a week, how every, right. everything is discombobulated for a week, how we all have trouble focusing That's all right. this week, sleeping getting up so getting true. So and true. and I was thinking about it and thinking wow and all we did was change one hour. The, the one hour right. as opposed to the two minutes that right. happen every day Isn't that amazing? the light changes for us the, supposedly neurotypical I'm not sure that any of us are yeah, but, exactly. but it changes for us two minutes every
every day, which is gradual enough that we manage it. We don't feel it, right. But when we go to 58 minutes difference, we all struggle. That's right. So That's when we right. talk about our kids and doing something gradually. It's, uh, it's a nightmare for them. And, I, and it really, for the first time, I think it really clicked in my head because the, the it will still change this hour over yeah. the next few months, but we can all handle it. Right. That's a, very good, minutes, that's a really good analogy to it. Absolutely. I mean, if you do anything gradually, you just won't feel it. Yeah. So, um, and that's really the thing for our kids. I think it's, especially with phobias, I mean, not just yeah. the, our kids, but across the board. You, um, I was just doing a speech on anxiety over the weekend, actually, and a parent said something about their child being very anxious in movie theaters, mm -hmm. and um, he would cover his ears on what mm. should she do, and I said, well, clearly he has sensitivity to the sound in the movie theater, and went through this kind of a desensitization right. process, and I said, and she said, so, but in the meantime, as I'm doing that, should I, what I usually do is I put his hands down, uh -huh. and I said, well, what you're doing is called flooding, mm -hmm. and Flooding, you know, flooding is a process where you expose the person to the most se uh, severe stimulus right. and then comfort them and make sure they're calm in that situation and uh, just straight to the most right. severe. And But the thing is that with a lot of our kids with phobias, it's very hard to do that because sometimes our kids will react so strongly yeah. that it gets worse and then yeah. things fall apart and then the whole thing becomes doubly aversive you know yeah. and especially if it's a sensory issue i wouldn't flood because yeah. some of our kids have real um, very sensitive hearing or mm -hmm. and so on and i wouldn't want to expose a child to that whereas again here your senses are the same thing you gradually acclimate right. so you know how um so nowadays some people um, will when you get to the age where you need um, to wear reading glasses yes. but, but if you've already uh, if let's say you have problems with distance as uh -huh. well some people now will have uh, surgery just on one eye right. so that one eye can see up close and the other one can see distance Oof. and you know what they're they do gradually acclimate wow. and this eye becomes trained to see distance and this one sees uh, close up and uh, people I know who've done this, I would never do this to myself, but right. their brain actually adjusts to that. that no matter what age, we're talking 60, you know, wow. 75. And what I'm saying is that, so even with the brain and sensory mm -hmm. input, it adjusts over time. Wow. So if you do things gradually, it's possible to change anything. Wonderful. Uh, and, and truly, I did. I had the big epiphany and went, oh, okay. Yeah. And honestly, I would prefer to do things gradually. I do better if they're right. gradual. So why wouldn't I do that for my child? Absolutely. So Absolutely. I have to grow a patient's bone. That's all. <laughs> um, okay. Somebody wants to know, and this actually came in on your Facebook page. They want to know what you think about and, and information about respite resources for parents or families. Their comments is the families are suffering in silence while all of the focus tends to be directed towards the person with special needs. The family now has special needs, but this is glossed over. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, I can't, I have uh, three typically developing kids and I don't know how I make it every day. You know, it's yeah. just like there's so much pressure on families to begin with. Yeah. I mean, I feel like schools nowadays expect parents to teach their kids most yeah. of what they learn. It's just way, way too difficult, the the, commu the, the way we live in yeah. the U.S. There's just too much going on all the time. 
Um, I don't. Where's the, does it say where this family is? It what does not say. No. Where the so you know, in, like in, if you live in California, you do have access to the regional center, and they provide you with respite funding. So it's not a whole lot, but it, in some cases, like I used to have a family, a mom who at that time was alone, and she had three children and three on the spectrum, mm -hmm. and so <clears throat> she used to get a tremendous amount of respite. Mm -hmm. So. The regional center system in California does actually support re respite. Yes. Um, you know, and then other states, I guess you would have to apply to the Department of Developmental Services, DDS, and that'll be called different things in different states. But uh, it's uh, they might be able to fund this because the regional center system is part of the DDS, or it's uh, a vendor, let's say, of the DDS. And um, other alternatives, you know, Act Today, for instance, yeah. uh, we just handed out a lot of grants yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, but you could apply to Act Today for respite. And since respite is an inexpensive uh, service, um, you'd get a really good value yes. for, for what we can grant you. Um, and then, of course, the other idea is to try to hire uh, college students, mm -hmm. you know, so or uh, people who are just uh, very low cost, like minimum wage, so on. Right. And um, what you do, you could then, if you get those students, you could easily go on our IBT uh, mm -hmm. website, mm -hmm. Institute for Behavioral Training, mm -hmm. and there you will see um, a lot of modules of training. And I would probably pick uh, initially the maybe parent one or teacher mm -hmm. one they're the they're more um, they're less technical than the professional right. ones on IBT right. and then you would have these people that you hire go through this so they would have some general understanding of how to interact with your yeah. child if they're giving you respite yeah and that's probably the the least expensive way to handle it as well. And I think you've hit the nail right on the head that, you know, a lot of times there is the money issue, as inexpensive as respite can be in it, in comparison to so many other things we do for our children, sometimes it can be an additional drain when you've got oh, other things yeah, to do, so you can apply for that grant. But even more important, I you know, what we hear, and I know as a parent, what I experienced is when I leave my child with this person, are they going to know how to handle the things? Are that's they going right. to be able to further the work that we're doing That's and so right. that ibehavioraltraining.com is the site that you want to go to be able to That's train right. the people yeah um, I just wanted to yeah. mention another option to um, is to hire an au pair yeah uh, you know au pair agencies I think au pair USA or these spaces mm -hmm. um, there's an upfront uh, you have to pay the agency and then you have to pay the au pair but mm -hmm. so I think you pay the agency somewhere around I want to say seven thousand over the course of the year uh -huh. And then the au pair, you pay $200 a week. Mm -hmm. But for $200 a week, they yeah. have to work 45 hours. Wow. So it comes down to almost like $4 an hour or something. It is really, really good. Some okay. of our families, and Nancy might mention, did okay. this. Yeah. And <clears throat> they ended up having such terrific yeah. au pairs and we actually trained the ah. people for them. And you can get that training on IBT. Okay. And then they were 
just as good as the third. I mean, they were fabulous. The wow. last one they had was absolutely fabulous. And Amazing. he stayed with them and renewed. And he, so he stayed for two years. And au pair can stay with you for two years. Wow. So it's and they kind really of cool. become almost a member of the family. Absolutely. And they live there. I mean, that's the thing. If you have yeah. the ability to let someone live there, then I would go the au pair route for yeah. sure. Uh, a great, great idea. Okay. Uh, interesting information. And thanks for writing in about the respite. Um, okay. The, uh, this is another one that came in via email email that just came in this morning. My son is nine and still having difficulty with his peers at recess. I don't uh, know what to do as I think uh, I tried lots of things like bringing his toys, listening to others on how to communicate. His peers mm -hmm. just do not have the time to understand him. Right. And I think a lot of our kids uh, have this problem and sh uh, they go on to write, they just walk away. He does not understand what he's doing or why they don't want to play with him. He has uh, an additional diagnosis of CP as well. Mm -hmm. Therefore, his mobility is compromised. He wears braces on both legs and his hearing is impaired. What can I do in order for my son to enjoy <sighs> his school as he's starting to make excuses so that yes. he doesn't go to school? Yes, I understand. It's heartbreaking. I understand. That's very heartbreaking. And <clears throat> I really try to avoid putting my children in those circumstances, those situations. Mm -hmm. And... I, over the years, people have criticized me a lot because they've said, why do you hold off on integrating into school um, you know, until the child has a certain level of skill? Right. And this is exactly the reason, because it's too difficult to... You're, it's not that the, your child doesn't have the, the language ability necessarily. You have to teach a million different skills that so that he will be able to join a group of friends and get involved with them. I mean, not only do you have to make sure that the child's language is yeah. up to par, uh, you have to make sure that he knows very subtle cues like how to introduce a new topic, yeah. um, how to recognize facial expressions that indicate the kids are about to walk away, they're bored, right. how to um, spend enough time on his own topic versus their topic, how to even enter a group, how to establish a relationship with one child versus a group of kids. I mean, I could go on and on. Yeah. These are individual lessons within our social curriculum. Yeah. And so part of this thing is that you, you teach those skills one-to-one -one at home mm -hmm. before you expose the child to the general environment. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to teach all of them at once, obviously, but you teach one the most basic first and you keep going up. And so like if I teach my child just to identify facial expressions, and that's all I'm focused on right now, then <clears throat> I would expose the child to other peers gradually, and I would have them identify the, come back and identify the facial expressions. Then I'd want to make sure my child knows how to react to various facial expressions. What are the options? There's too many lessons for me to go into here. Right. But throwing the child in and thinking that he's going to somehow acclimate, our kids don't have the ability, they don't yeah. have the skills. So in this particular case, I would have a few questions. I would say, do you have an ABA program at home? Yeah. Because if you do, that's what they should be focusing on right now is teaching the child specific individual small skills that will help lead to better social behavior. And I'll tell you can go on skills to get all that information. Skills uh, is a our curriculum and assessment. So everything like everything that I just mentioned and 
thousands of lessons more are on skills. So um, you definitely need an in-home program that teaches your child techniques, gives your child tools for how to behave, how to approach, and you're breaking it down again, like yeah. the last question, into very small units of what's expected of him. Right. Because if, you know, what's currently being expected of him is to go to school, converse with a group of kids, know how to enter a group, you know, make friends, blah, blah, blah. But there's, these are way too broad and general and abstract and yeah. very hard for our kids. So. We break them down to you know a thousand and little things that you teach the child, then practice at school, and you reward the child, and then they put it together. And <clears throat> this child should also possibly have an aide in school. Yeah. So whether that's an aide that is your employee or is an aide that's provided through the school district from his IEP, you need to have someone assisting the child at yeah. school. Um, what we and again, depending on the level of functioning of the child, it's hard to respond to this because if it's a child who is very high functioning and you don't want to stigmatize him, then it's very possible to place an aide in the classroom without the aide being attached to him. Right. So a lot of our aides, we call them sort of confederate aides, um, <laughs> they are able to just pretend to be an aide for the whole classroom right. and uh, then they will keep an eye on the child and prompt the child when necessary and, and get the child to do the appropriate social behaviors and also track what's going on with the yeah. child. So those are just some suggestions but um, you know and uh, taking an object to school that is interesting does promote conversation. There's a lot of research on that and that's a great idea. I just don't think that your child, uh, I, I, you know, like I've said in the past, there's always a balance you have to maintain between uh, the reward amount and the difficulty or the demand yeah. amount. And I think that this is too difficult. Yeah. So even if he has an object, he won't know how to interact about it appropriately. He won't know how to uh, gain or maintain the interest of other peers. Yeah. Um, you know, and on, on another note, because a lot of things come to mind yeah. when I see kids, when, whatever you teach, you need to teach one-on-one -on -one first, I would say at home, and then you can generalize it to an adult first and then a single peer. So right. if you have a set uh, concept of what it is you want your child to do, you could practice that with him at home and then you can bring a play date, like a cousin or a neighborhood child or something, practice that, and that'll help him as well at yeah. school but it won't necessarily be enough because he just yeah. needs to know all these different skills. I really do recommend you try out skills. You'll be shocked yeah. at the number of things that go into just, let's say, social conversation. There's a million things oh, he has to learn. Yes, yeah. and you'll find it fascinating too. It's uh, fascinating, for sure. It's, it's really interesting to see how many things our kids naturally develop. Yes, absolutely amazing. And I, I have to say, uh, one of the things that also strikes me about this because the age of the child is nine. nine. Because my son is nine, he'll, he'll be 10 just in a couple of months. But I what a cold shower it was for me to realize that this age range, the kids 
are going through, the other kids are going through <coughs> something socially, which I can only describe as apathy training, mm-hmm. where they are just too cool. Everything, I'm too cool, I can't be bothered, you said hello to me, I'm not going to say hello back, I, I'm acting like nothing, I'm impervious. Yeah, they're learning to hide behind egos. <laughs> yes, and and I, it's horrible for our kids. Yeah. It's so frustrating, and we know that this phase is not going to serve these other kids well, and that eventually they will come out of it, most of them. Um, and it's a very frustrating time as a parent that you just, I, I kind of want to call up all the other parents and go, could you just ask your child not to do this with my child? It wouldn't be effective, right? I know. <laughs> right? I but know, I, I, I feel like that. And I, I want to call up all the parents from this letter right. that are there on, the, uh, on the, the playground and say, could you just cut this child some slack? Yeah. And could you yeah. respond and not? But the reality is that they're having their own experience and they're just too cool. You know, and you brought up several really important points, Shannon, and that's one of the things that I've always said needs to actually, I wish it would uh, just grow and develop. Like I've talked to my daughter actually about possibly trying to start something. But you know, it, it would be fabulous if uh, and some district, some parents have done this, where they will actually have a program and go into schools and teach kids about autism, about, mm-hmm. uh, in this case, also CP, and trying to just teach other kids to have a level of understanding and, and empathy towards yeah. our kids. And, uh, you know, how we've had a lot of, a lot of schools have done that for bullying over yeah. the last few years, yeah. and that's terrific. I'm so thankful that yes. that mo- movement started. It's, it's incredible. Um, and I just think that the same thing has to happen for uh, certain disabilities. It's yes. more and more frequent. Uh, my kids will often come and talk to me about other kids in their schools um, and they you know they've grown up with autism in their lives so they become very upset when uh, people are treating the child with autism not in a good way they you know really upset and they like what should I do and stuff like that so I think teaching peers some level of empathy in itself would be amazing yes and then the other thing um, something you said made me think of this you don't need to focus on getting your child hooked up to the most social group at school all your child really needs is one friend Mm -hmm. if you have one friend at school uh, everything becomes easier and um, I would suggest is this a boy or a girl we don't Uh, son son boy so you know and he's nine you might be able to find another really sweet humble uh, child who is in his grade and or is helpful could be a girl a lot yeah. of the girls at that age are much more empathetic than the boys are yes. um, you know and you would also want to teach your child some other skill that makes him feel good about himself yeah. I really really encourage that because yeah. it could be anything I mean some of our kids are fabulous musicians some are incredible artists mm-hmm. some are uh, getting their, you know, green belt in karate. It just needs, you need to give your child other ways to feel good about themselves. Yeah. So don't be 100% focused on how can I get my child to socialize. Also pay some attention to his experience of it and yeah. the fact that you want to make him feel good about himself. Yeah. So that's kind of important as well. And by the way, the self-esteem lessons are also in skills they are, as well. They are. There's a lot amazing. of things in there. It's just, That's just the I mean, you know, if you really think about it, going through life, what they, I, I, I'm trying to identify some core 
things that help people become successful. And I think one of them for sure is having an adequate level of self-esteem, not uh, arrogance, yeah. but a, an adequate level of self-esteem. And then having uh, very little fear. Yeah. Um, and then having a lot of empathy or, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, empathy, it's interesting. Empathy is and if you think about it, actually all human behavior relates to being able to see other people's perspectives. Yeah. And um, so that's a key, key thing for our kids to learn. It is critical to successful development. Yeah, absolutely. Really good information. We have a bunch more questions and more coming in, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more with Ask Dr. Doreen. Keep your questions coming. Stick with us. Hi, I'm Shannon Penrod, host of Autism Live. As the mom of a young man on the autism spectrum, I frequently look to the world and hope for compassion. Well, recently I told my son that he should treat others the way he wants them to treat him. And that's when I realized that it's high time that I start walking my talk. This April, for Autism Awareness Month, Autism Live is asking everyone to perform an act of compassion. Do something nice for someone else. That's why I've decided to shave my head to show support for a young dad who's fighting brain cancer. How will you show your compassion? Compassion is a tool of change, but only when we take action. How we treat others teaches them how to treat us in return. This April, the autism community has the ability to lead by example by putting compassion in action. This can be a small act or a large one, it can be close to home or towards someone on the other side of the planet. If we all perform an act of compassion, who knows? We might just change the world. Get involved and show us your compassion in action on facebook.com slash autism live. And tune in on April 8th to watch me shave my head live on the air. We are not powerless. We can create change. Compassion in action. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're here right now with Dr. Doreen Grampache, a true visionary in the field of autism. Oh, thank you. And uh, we're so lucky to have your expertise with us. We're, we're getting a bunch of questions coming in, and I want to get to as many of them as possible. Can I just say that yes. uh, I guess the, the, the people who are live right now just saw that compassion mm -hmm. thing too, yes. right? Yes. That was terrific. I mean, good job. That thing was amazing. I can't believe how nicely you guys put that together. Well, we have to say a big thanks to Susanna Shinsky, yes, who also does talented. the A word, is so very, talented, very talented and so much fun to work with. As, isn't it funny that we're just talking about that? Like yes. Empathy and compassion. Yes. And and a, a lot of this has come from, I mean, there were a bunch of different things that happened, but in talking to my child about empathy and, and there, uh, you know, there was a child at school who was not being, they weren't bullying him, but they weren't being particularly nice to him. You know mm -hmm, what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and he was asking for me what to do about it. And I said, well, you know, when we want something from somebody else, we have to sometimes teach them, you know, the behavior. We have to model the behavior. And as I said that to him, I really thought about it and thought, wow, how much do I demonstrate that? How much am I modeling that behavior? And that sometimes as an autism mom, I get locked in the, you know, I'm an autism mom and this is my world. And I had just heard about this dad and I 
felt bad in that moment. I, 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 you know, I took a moment as I heard about this dad, and there are so many people who are fighting so many different things. But I heard about this young dad with brain cancer, and it struck a chord with me. And I thought, oh, how devastating! And I had a moment of inner compassion mm -hmm. for him. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I went back to my life mm -hmm. because we do. That's kind of what we do, except when we don't. Yeah, it's when true. When we stop for a moment and say to somebody, "Hey, I see what you're going through. I, I see what's going on for you." And as, and as I was saying to my son, you know, you need to, <laughs> you need to show compassion for other people and then mm. they'll show it for you. And, and I thought, wow, I need to model this behavior for my son. And I was reminded of when we do something for somebody else, we feel better. Oh, no question about it. And, Absolutely. And I don't know about everybody else, but I, I could stand a little boost. You know, <laughs> I oh, want to feel better on a daily uh, basis. Definitely. And, definitely. and so it kind of, you know, as I, I was sharing this with other people that I wanted to do this, people were talking about, well, I want to do something too. Yeah. Um, and so it has mushroomed into this uh, somewhat bigger thing. And we're looking to uh, showcase other people's stories so that if there's something that you want to do or that an organization that you're a part of wants to do something and the sky is the limit what That's would so you awesome. like to do yeah um, we'd like to showcase it here on the show That's and, terrific. and spend the whole month of autism awareness uh, you know making people aware about autism but making people aware about us as a community and how compassionate we are that's right that's and right it's amazing actually if you think about it Shannon we're all so busy in our own lives and uh, when you wake up in the morning, nobody even, we usually don't even slow down enough to, to ask ourselves, what am I actually going to do with this day? Yeah. With just today, what am I going to do? Yeah. I, all we think of is like all these work things we have to do and this and that and that, but we don't really think about things like I'm actually going to do an act of kindness today, yeah. or I, you know, I want to make sure that I show some, some compassion and keep that active in your mind. And if yeah. we all just could do that, it would make such a huge difference in the world. No Absolutely. Question. Absolutely. So it's it's a fun project, and uh, and we appreciate that you participated in, in, oh, it was in the fun. shoot. Yeah. And um, and again, we're looking to include all of you at home. So if you've got an idea of something that you want to do, you can either write in and tell us to send us a piece of video. Uh, we'd love to talk to you about it. And, and before we go back to the yes. questions, I just want to make sure we don't forget to talk uh, very quickly about the uh, California emergency regs. Thank you for reminding sure. me about no, that. I'm just really excited about yes. it because I've been spending like so many hours with legislation over the yes. last couple of weeks and I'm so excited. So for those families who are living in California, we just had emergency regulations passed yesterday that will now not allow uh, insurance companies or funding sources, um, managed healthcare or insurance, to uh, deny uh, services due to a variety of reasons. Uh, we, you know, we started in California with insurance coverage in July of last year, yeah. and it has gradually built up, right? So now we have a lot of kids. The majority of our kids are on insurance coverage as well. And we noticed, uh, I think we did a survey last month, and we noticed that several of our kids, you know, it's not a huge number in contrast to the whole, but a lot of kids more and more so these days were coming back with either partial denials or full denials. Mm -hmm. And when we went back and started looking at the reasons, the reasons were pretty abstract. There were situations where it, the, the majority of the reason that was given was always this is not medical necessity. So um, that was one major trigger that was very hard to fight. Right. Um, and another one was your child has, I just saw one yesterday, which really broke my heart, but 
I'm just so happy about the emergency regs. Um, it said uh, that we cannot continue intervention because your child's IQ is low, uh -huh. and therefore your child will not benefit from ABA. And that just like I, oh, I wanted to, you know, uh, so I was, I was yeah. really upset about that. And so that's another excuse is just uh, your child's uh, cognitive functioning level or intelligence level. And then another one that's been happening is stuff like. Um, if your child is in school, any kind of school, then that is part of the ABA, and it's not at all. It has nothing to do with education. ABA is healthcare right now, and that's why we're getting insurance coverage. Um, but anyway, the emergency regs specifically do not allow insurance companies to deny you based on things like IQ or medical necessity or so on. I mean. In just in our system, just with one insurance company, I don't want to name, we have, we have over 20 families who are going to now resubmit and get covered again wow. because they were denied last month or over the last couple of months and for medical necessity, and now that's not allowed anymore. This is a huge deal. It is a huge deal. Yeah. And I want to thank you because I know you've put in a lot of hours to make well, this happen. Well, you know, this one, I mean, we really have to credit all the people who were involved. We're actually going to, uh, and especially uh, like I'm so grateful to Senator Steinberg at, in, at our California Senate and Dr. Louis Mara who advises and I have to tell you that all we do is we tell them what's really happening in the trenches yeah. and then um, Dr. Vismara starts to put the wheels in place and these things happen. We're currently working on other legislation. As I've mentioned before, we really want to try to see if we can get some uh, more assistance for families uh, with their co-pays and deductibles mm -hmm. because that's pretty restrictive. We're trying very hard to uh, make sure the quality of services in California is pretty high and we're also trying to get additional types of services funded so that we can really help our kids more. So we'll see. The, the season for legislation is coming up. Yes. And I, and I have to say too that if you're watching and you're thinking, well, that's great for California. Right. Um, but, you know, I'm in Kentucky. Okay. And, you know, but but honestly, it all trickles down. It may, yes, absolutely. May, may not trickle down as fast as we would all like it to, but when we have the opportunity to have have this kind of legislation in California and kids improve, right. it makes it impossible for people to keep doing what they're doing. Isn't that right? Absolutely. In fact, if you let's say there's an insurance company, I mean just any of them, let's say Anthem Blue Cross, and if we if this is a policy that has been like once we start to go back and get these cases uh, reopened and funded. Uh, which we are, we're in the process of doing that now with our families, uh, th that company, that insurance company won't do the same thing all over the place. They'll start changing their procedures pretty fast right. because you realize that this is a major, if they don't comply with these things, um, they can get a major lawsuit. So Absolutely. this is something that they will, I talk a lot with insurance companies and I'm pretty sure that the decision makers uh, and attorneys will advise them to change practices rather than try to discriminate state by state. Absolutely. So these types of things tend to go pretty fast. Yes. Uh, and, and we saw, I mean, when Arizona was the first state mm -hmm. to pass insurance reform and we all... We were so excited. It was like, I came home and I was like, you can't believe what Gretchen did. Yeah. 
I, you know, it took my yeah. breath away because I didn't know that that was going to happen in my lifetime. And then once one one state did that, then the ball started rolling. Right. Now we don't have it in 50 states yet. Right. But but the sentence is yet. Oh, and there's so much to go. I mean, even some of, I was just talking to a family from Arizona and, and I was saying, wait, why don't you have insurance coverage? Because, I mean, that was the first one we worked on. And he reminded me that his uh, child is 21. Mm. And I remembered that when we wrote the bill in Arizona, we were just so shocked that anyone would consider insurance yeah. coverage that uh, the, pol the way that it's written in Arizona is uh, 50,000 a year up to the age of nine, I think, and then 10 to 16 is 25,000 a year, and nothing after that. And so I, th I, I don't think the federal law actually allows that. Yeah. So that's what I was telling the family, and I need to follow up for them. But basically, a lot of the existing uh, mandates have to be improved as well. Right, exactly. You know, and, and there's a lot New of work, work to be done. There's craziness in New York yes. right now, because New York the interpretation of the mandate was written in a really bad way. Mm -hmm. So in New York, they won't even allow anyone to provide these services until unless they're board certified and licensed. There's 41 people in the whole state of New York who qualify. So it's kind of like, all right, that's not good. So we're dealing with another thing there. With, with um, We're supporting Autism Speaks, and we're doing a joint venture on that with them where we're trying to get the state to change that. So there's a lot of stuff going on. It'll yeah. be a few years before yeah. we get pretty good coverage. And and just for the people at home watching that think, okay, I don't have a couple of years, I want to remind you about that Institute for Behavioral Training and Skills. That's what you can be doing in the meantime. And also to realize, this is something that was so helpful to me to realize, because for such a long time, I thought I was alone. And I would think to myself, why isn't someone doing something about this? Or why yes. isn't someone doing something about this? And we don't always get to know, but I want you to know that I see people every day, like Dr. Grampichet, that work tirelessly for well, you. And, and I'm not even an attorney. I mean, and people need to know that there are very good special education attorneys out there. Um, I mean, here, for many, many years in California, our patients have worked with Bonnie Yates, for instance, yes. who's fabulous. And a lot of other, um, in, in every state, you can contact yes. a good special ed attorney and they will get you through. And if there is any funding, whether it's insurance or um, developmental services or Department of Ed or whatever, they'll get it for you. Yeah. So, you know, it is an upfront cost in some cases, yeah. but it is very well worth it. But whatever, we don't give up. We that's the yes. message of the day. Yes. You don't give up and say, well, I'm going to wait around for two years. There's things that you can do today. And we talk about those kinds of things all the time here on the show. All these wonderful questions that are coming in. Okay, let's see uh, where I'd like to start here. Um, well, I want to start with a good news one. Somebody says, I'm celebrating today after a school observation in gym class. I saw my child be ind independently successful without his aid. That's awesome. Uh, he did the zip line and the climbing wall. I was thrilled to see his accomplishments. He has an amazing gym teacher who is bringing him out the best in him. He's 11 and mainstream with a full-time aide. So I think every once in a while, not really a question there, but every once in a while we have to share when people celebrate and say, you know, this is going well. Okay, the next question is, is how much speech therapy, and this may not be your area of expertise, but how much speech therapy do you recommend for someone who can talk but is not conversational? She is a freshman in high school. Right now she gets 60 minutes direct, 30 minutes consult at school. 
Well, I actually don't know too many speech pathologists that can go deep into language. Um, so speech therapy usually, and I, I don't want to say anything offensive to the field of speech therapy, but speech therapy is not necessarily the only place that you can get help with turning what, what it sounds like you have is speech and you need to turn it into language. Right. And so what you, I mean, I, that's one of the things yeah. ABA does is yeah. make a speech a functional form of language and communication. So uh, whether you use a very good, uh, really good and highly experienced speech pathologist or an uh, ABA uh, supervisor and, and therapists, uh, honestly, I would say you, and this is an adult or this is a, a person in college, I would say you'd want to do somewhere at least around 10 hours a week of intervention on this. And that's not usually something a speech therapist will do because speech is so focused on certain aspects of speech and it's maybe one or two or three times a week and that's it. Uh, whereas this is more like infusion into communicative language and that would require a lot of time. So your best bet, I think, is if you're able to get a high level ABA provider. And that's going to be a little bit hard depending on what state you're in. Uh, not a lot of ABA providers also know how to go into conversational and social language pragmatics. Um, so when you find the right provider, try to see if they can either themselves work with your uh, child uh, like you know 10 hours a week or if they have interns or therapists who can do that and then they can supervise and guide the program. Okay, great. That's how I would proceed. Okay fabulous. I uh, got a question here from somebody. Hi Dr. Doreen. Uh, from what I've heard the skills online curriculum has skills up to eight years of age right? What is the significance of the number eight here? What would it mean for an older child say 10 years working on these skills? Uh, in this case would it mean that even if the 11 year old finishes the skills curriculum he would still be behind his peers and would still need to catch up is there any skills part two thanks that's a really good question thank you very much for asking that so the age eight is uh, not not uh, uh, chronological age so it's mental age mm -hmm. um, so when I say that that means that you know for typically developing kids that your chronological age and your mental age are the same. That means you're one year old and you're functioning like any typical one year old. You're eight years old and you're functioning the same as any typical eight year old. Now think of an eight year old, a typically developing eight year old, and their level of functioning is so advanced. I mean, uh, you know, we're beyond teaching, I don't know, labels or whatever. I mean, right. th by the time you're eight, you're doing everything from knowing how to lie to uh, read inferences to uh, use irony in your speech to you know it's extremely right. advanced uh, uh, skill ability so we went all the way to eight uh, chronological I mean mental age because we thought a lot of our kids let's say your, your child is 14 they're not doing anything close to eight if a 14 year old was able to reach eight mm -hmm. then they're gonna have a pretty easy time reaching mental age 14 as well right you're not even gonna need to go beyond that mm -hmm. in other words the the more advanced stuff in our curriculum um, some of it is stuff that you use your whole life yeah there's not a whole lot of um, learning that occurs after eight 
uh, within the areas of social skills and cognition and EF and so on. What really develops more in the older age is kind of like more facts, academic skills and all that sort of stuff. But the core basis, your reasoning skills, your all that sort of stuff gradually increases but not so much more. So the curriculum would definitely help your child because if your child's 10, trust me, just go in skills and do the assessment. Yeah. You'd be shocked at how many things there are that your child needs to learn. Yeah. I, my kids are typically developing and if I was to go in and do skills and answer a lot of questions in my, like on my 14 year old, there's gonna be a ton of stuff that I would need to teach yeah. them. What, so there's a lot in there. When I read through the skills curriculum, which by the way, took me months, yeah. um, and I was struck by the things that I thought, oh, I don't know I this. Don't know I'm not this. good at this. Right. And what? And tell me if I'm thinking of it wrong, because the way it was language to me is that these are skills that begin to emerge by age, yes, but they're not perfected. Age. Right. Um, so these are things that, you know, at a typically developing eight-year-old, they would, it would at least begin to emerge in some way, but you spend the rest of your life perfecting it. Right. And, <laughs> and it's kind of like by the time if you are if you really master everything in skills, mm -hmm. trust me, everything you are now able to learn just from observation. Yes. So you're not going to need instruction beyond right. that. So if you just get to the point that we have at the end of this curriculum, you're going to be learning everything through just your peers and observation on the world. Okay. Um, but you know, it's a great question because it's always important for people to recognize that what we have on skills is mental age and not chronological age. Yeah. So we always we kept it developmentally appropriate. That means that by the time a child is eight, they should start to be doing all these things, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, the majority of our kids don't. The majority of our kids, when they're eight or 10, they're functioning closer in various areas, closer to like a four-year-old, three-year-old, and so yeah. So they have a lot to learn. Yes, a lot to catch up on. Okay, uh, a couple of different things here. Somebody wrote in and said, I love Dr. Doreen's idea about teaching kids about peer empathy. I can see an entire video series being marketed to schools to teach all these appropriate, helpful, mm, uh, uh, at recess, both indoor and outdoor skills. You know, especially here in California, when it rains, they keep the kids in and they show them videos. I bet they, you we could produce something really awesome. Yeah. Suzanne could easily do that. Thank you that's for pretty suggesting a video because that's a really great idea. It is a great idea. Uh, somebody else wrote in and said, it hurts to see my son disrespected by peers in the rude way that they don't look at him or roll their eyes or just not really see him uh, as someone taken seriously as a friend. He does have a few friends who are patient, but there are so many who are cruel in that way. I never know how to help this situation without bringing attention to the negative. Any advice? I would probably uh, gather the parents. I would try to, I mean, I know with each of my kids, they have a group of friends and I know all the parents of each group. So it's kind of like get together with the parents and ask them if it would be okay if you had some sort of a gathering with the kids and the parents and just talked about autism, just talked about some of the, again, I think it really goes back to understanding and having empathy and compassion. A lot of times kids tend to like, if you notice right now in our society, it's kind of interesting because uh, kids will, um, there's such an awareness now all of a sudden just because they really understand about like, there's been all this news about kids who've been bullied and then they've gone out and committed oh, horrific crimes. Yeah. Our kids in school are really beginning to understand how bad bullying is. Mm -hmm. And I think the more they understand about a certain thing, like why is there 
extreme compassion in a school when a child has cancer, but not the same level of compassion when a child has autism. Mm -hmm. You know, it's yeah. simply because people don't know what autism is. Right. And so if you could just give information to the kids in a very friendly manner, uh, I think their compassion and empathy would increase. Yeah. I don't think you need to point out you know, don't roll your eyes at my child or something like that. You just, I think you just need to be very clear on uh, certain things like, by the way, the, um, you know, these are, there are certain things that are like bullying. Are these children with autism recognize that they're being shut out and they feel alone just like as if they're feeling bullied, you know, yeah. those types of things. I do think too, when we take other parents into our confidence and ask them to help with their children, there's something that's reinforcing about that to the other parent and the other child. True. It sort of gives them a paycheck that they feel like, oh, I want to do this and they feel better about themselves when Absolutely. they do. And uh, so it can be very useful. Not with everyone. Not all parents are receptive. No, not everyone. That's true. <laughs> but, true. Uh, but I think the vast majority are. Okay, we've got, got kind of a long question here. Hi, Shannon and Dr. Doreen. My question today concerns seeking advice on how to best word my third grade son's IEP concerning academic goals. I don't want to in individually list each and every academic goal, i.e. learn how to do fractions, etc. I want him to learn all the curriculum that his peers are learning. I felt so frustrated these past three years that he has been in the resource room two hours a day that he misses so much curriculum while he works on a handful of academic goals. How can I word that that is what I, that what is, what, that what I want is all the curriculum covered and differentiated for my son so that he still gets familiar with the curriculum? Even if it becomes more abstract the older he gets, I compare it to learning Chinese. Exposure is a good thing, right? So I want him to continue with his full-time aid without going to the resource room. Only then will I be sure he's getting the whole curriculum. Also, I'm excited to see the skills social goals for him on the IEP. Wonderful. Oh, this is awesome. This it is, is a awesome. parent who's using skills, I think. I believe so. That's, That's what, terrific. Certainly what it I sounds really like. That. I would say, um, so you, it was good because in the last sentence the parent said, uh, um, I don't want him to be pulled out and he has a full-time aid. That's great. So if he has a full-time aid, you have two ways you could do this. You could just go to the IEP and say, uh, no more resource. That's it. I don't want pull out. And, and we can. I, you oh, know yeah, what? Thank absolutely. you for saying. Yeah, I forget that we can just go. No. Oh yeah. No, I don't want research. I don't want pull out. Right. I don't want my child to be pulled out. It's not necessary. The only reason that they pull out is because they will pull out to catch him up to certain things. Mm -hmm. That's their reason. If you think that he is able to, um, with certain modifications, keep up with the full curriculum, then you're not asking for a lot. You're asking for what's called accommodation. Mm -hmm. Accommodation is something that, that means they will change the format of the exams, change the format of, let's say, um, give him a little bit more time, maybe change mm -hmm. the format of instruction, little things like place him in the front of the classroom, all that sort of stuff. These are techniques that they can do in order to accommodate your child's way of learning. And then he will just stay with the class. Mm -hmm. um, but if he has a full-time aid, that would give me the impression that he's not yet there. It would give me the impression that he actually still has a lot of stuff that he needs to learn in order to uh, reach the full curriculum. Mm -hmm. 
Now, and if that's the case, then you should probably be working on those specific things at home. You can still avoid pullout because mm -hmm. who knows what's happening at pullout. And you can still, but you need your child needs a certain amount of let's say tutoring, mm -hmm. one to one, just to catch him up to the points. Because keep in mind that if you put him in just the regular program, it's a lot harder for him. He will need support. Yeah. So you want to make sure his skills are a little bit honed and then also that he has support. But you, you the IEP, you have to agree to the IEP. Yeah. So, you know, and if you want to write goals, obviously you can just write a goal within each area of the curriculum as right. well. Absolutely. Okay. Great, great advice. I think that we are out of time or do I have one time for one more, Emily? Super quick. Uh, um, okay, I've got a question here that I think will be super quick. Hello, I have two kids on the spectrum. The higher functioning one can't tolerate the vocal stereotypy. My other child does. How can I help my first child tolerate her brother when she herself has sensitivities towards certain sounds? And thank you so much. This is so hard. You know what? Quick answer to this. Buy some noise reduction headphones okay. and allow your older child to use them in order to shut out some of the sounds while you're working on helping your second child reduce their self-symmetry vocals. Um, so it's just, it's a difficult situation. I feel very sad because it's so difficult right. for the two kids. But I would say just use headphones because okay. they're awesome. I mean, you can shut anything out pretty much. Sometimes I feel like I need to wear them when my kids are all talking <laughs> oh, to me. Don't we? Yeah. Or the music. I'm noticing the music that they listen to now. This is how old I am. I want to wear headphones so that I have quiet while he's listening to music. Trust me. I know this. I can't really. imagine. I cannot. But I'm I, frightened. But actually, but what I want to say is that, and that's another good thing. Mm -hmm. Thank you for mentioning music because music, if your older child actually listens to music sometimes on the headphones, it'll be very calming. Okay. Um, you don't have to. With the noise reduction, you just turn them on. You don't have to have anything connected to them. Okay. They'll right. still keep noise out. Okay, great advice. Thank yeah. you so much for Pleasure. being here. Pleasure. Always fun. We always look forward to it.